Sometimes we as Christians, we wait upon the shelf. We're ashamed to lift our hands in praise. We wait on someone else. But Jesus died at Calvary. God's plan he did fulfill. And that's why I stand today trying to do his will. Yet we fail to praise his name. He said if we're ashamed of him, to us he'd be the same. When he gave his life at Calvary, he did it for all men. So that's why I can proudly say, I've been born again.
back to the book of Ephesians, but we're going to back up a chapter from where we were Sunday and also this morning uh, in Ephesians chapter number 4. When I left today, this is not the message of the hour that where I was coming to, but it's where we are tonight. Ephesians chapter number 4, and I had been asked a couple questions about uh, some things, of course, about numbers uh, in the Bible. And you think about it, a lot of folks say, well, we shouldn't get too uh, worried about numbers. Well, listen, God was so interested in numbers that he named the book of the Bible Numbers. Uh, the fourth book of the Bible, Brother Howard, you got Genesis, you got Exodus, you got Leviticus, of course. The fourth book is the book of Numbers, then Deuteronomy, you can go on down the line. But the fourth book of the Bible is referred to as Numbers, and God thought it was very important. And numbers are very important. Of course, uh, I shared, I guess, I don't know if that was the day or the other day, I was talking about school, and uh, man, this went by in a hurry. I cannot tell you uh, what class that was, maybe Sister Beth, Sister Christie, or Sister Chandler, somebody could tell me uh, what grade you, and I don't know, that. I don't think they, Garrett didn't have to, Garrett did not have to learn his multiplication table, but we used to have to do that years ago, and it seemed like when Garrett got in school, I used Kalen, quite Kalen Brown, now I almost said Kalen Davis again, I used Kalen Brown a ton, and because uh, it was simple questions, but they were wanting you to show your work. Well, I could show the work, but it was incredible. I get the same answer. It's sort of like this. Now, now, watch this just a minute. Now, listen, I'm telling on, and I know it's not the teacher's fault. They can't help it. But they done these, it, it was like circles. You had to do like sevens. All right, seven times three is 21. But in order for him to get that, you had to do seven circles, seven circles, seven circles, three times. It's almost like, Brother Jason, all right, you got to get to your elbow, but you got to go around your butt to get to your elbow. Does that make sense? But you know what? You think about numbers. That may be a bad, that may be a bad picture, but you know, you think about numbers, you think about school. There's a lot of things maybe that they share that you won't use, but numbers is one thing that you'll use for the rest of your life really is. And God has a lot to say about numbers. I remember several years ago, it was probably about 2017 or 18, somewhere in that, in that line, I preached on, I started a series of messages on numerology, and we preached through and, and basically went through the number 10. And, uh, but it, it, it's something I think that's very important. I think it's something that's necessary, sort of like numbers. And, and we learn a lot of times by attaching a number uh, to something. And uh, tonight, we're going to look at just a couple of the numbers that I believe are very... We're going to start at number one. We're not going to start at five. We're going to start at number one and go just a couple of these, at least two, maybe three. And, uh, but I'm going to try to preach fast. You listen fast, and we'll go to the house fast. I'm not going to ask you to stand tonight. I'm going to read just a few verses here out of Ephesians chapter number four. And, of course, the Apostle Paul is the human instrument here that is pinning this down. And we know that the Holy Spirit inspired what he's pinning down. And he had a great love. For the, for the Ephesians, and that was the church that was located in a place called Ephesus there in Asia Minor. You go back to the book of Acts, in Acts chapter number 20, you'll find a lot of the context as he spent several years there with the church, and he gave that charge un, to the church as Brother Adrian hit on again this morning about feeding the church of God over the which the over, uh, God hath made you overseers, and he hath purchased them with his own blood. And he was talking to the crowd there, the elders in Ephesus. Well, here this letter's been pinned down. We refer to the Ephesians and also Colossians and also Philippians as the prison epistles. The Apostle Paul pinned this down. He was a humanist because the Holy Spirit inspired him to write down. But he was in a Roman prison when he pinned these letters down under the churches that had been established on his missionary journeys. And I want you to listen now. He basically has a call for unity under the church. And man, I'm not really going to focus on the first few verses, but that's critical and that's important for every church to have. Have that, that bond of unity. Notice in verse number 1 in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1, Paul said, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord. What's he talking about? Again, he's in a Roman prison as he's writing this down. The reason he's there is not because he's a murderer or a thief. He simply was preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was unpopular during that day. And you know, uh, the secular world wouldn't wasn't Paul's biggest problem. It was the religious world, the Jews and the Pharisees and the Sadducees of the day that, that were upset because he preached the death, burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And he said, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. And that's sort of the main theme of the book of Ephesians. When you see the word walk, you'll see that multiple times in the book of Ephesians. That's not the message tonight, but he goes on to say in verse 2, with all lowliness 
and meekness with long suffering, forbearing one another in love. Now, boy, verse number two, if we would respond in obedience to what God has asked, we probably wouldn't have many problems, wouldn't have many troubles at all, because he said, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love. If we all could just attain that man, what kind of church would we, well, we'd be a perfect church. And that's why there is no such thing as a perfect church. Because, listen, the, the church is made up of imperfect people. But we're to be striving for that in lowliness of mind, in meekness and forbearing one another. Now look at verse number 3. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That's what we should be endeavoring to do. Not, not to have contention or to stir up strife or seditions or heresies, but we're to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now here's verse 4. Now notice you'll find seven times from verse number 4, 5, and 6, seven times you'll find the word one. Now seven is not the, we'll hit this verse again from a different aspect later on when you get to the number seven. Seven is the number of God. Six is the number of man. And man is always coming up one short of God because man is, in numerology, man is a picture of number six. God is the number of number seven. And we think about this seven times from verse four, five, and six. And I underlined it in my Bible. Notice what it said. In verse four, there is one body and one spirit. Even as you're called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Let's pray. Fathers, who bow in your presence, God, again tonight, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the opportunity for more time to expound upon it. I pray that it be a blessing, Lord, unto the hearers tonight. Lord, you know the needs that are in this building. Those who are listening by way of the telephone, the CD ministry, the live stream, the Facebook. God, you know every need. Above all, I pray for that one that has never trusted Christ as Savior. I pray that today will be that good hour to turn from their sin unto the Savior. I pray that you give us wisdom. Lord, give us leadership. Give us unction and anointing as we go through this service tonight. And we try our best to preach your word. Help me to decrease it. Jesus may be increased and lifted up. We'll give you thanks and we'll give you praise for what you do. We ask these things in Jesus' name and all God's people saying, Amen. Well, we've read this text here out of Ephesians 4. There's a lot that I could say in the first three verses, but we're focusing in on verse number 4, 5, and 6 just to build sort of a premise of a message when it comes to numerology and numbers that are found in the Bible. And, of course, the number 1. What is the number 1? Seven times we see this in our text, and I'll read it again in verse number 4. He said there's one body and one spirit. Even as you're called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is above all and through all, and in you all. Seven times, Brother Harold, he, he mentioned the word one. Now, the way we can break this down, when you think about the number one, it basically means... When you think about one, it is absolute singleness. That's what, he's, that's what one is. It's the primary number. You can't start at two. You've got to start at one. And it has to do with absolute singleness. And we could break it down this way. When, when I got saved, whatever year that was, when I was 13 years old, and I received Christ as my Savior, and I'm not sure what year Brother Kevin got saved. I'm not sure what, what year Brother Harold got saved, Sister Janet got saved. But you know what? We didn't get saved by a different Savior. We weren't convicted by a different spirit. We, didn't, we weren't saved by a different faith. It was one faith. There's one Lord. There's one Spirit. And once we got saved, we were birthed into the body of Christ. There's not multiple bodies. There's one body of Christ. And we thank God for that, that relationship with the Lord Jesus. And a lot of folks, especially in 2023, they say, well, you know what, preacher, you, you just you, you can't be so absolute. You just can't be so dogmatic or straightforward on fundamental truths. Oh, yes, you can. God didn't stutter. There's one faith. There's one Lord. There's one baptism. There's one God and Father. There's not multiple gods. A lot of folks say, well, you know, you can get to heaven by Muhammad. You can get to heaven by, by Islam. This, that, that's, that's an impossibility. There's only one way. Jesus said, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. He said, I am that 
way. And folks, we got to understand when it comes to one, one is absolute singleness. We, and a lot of folks say, well, you know, and I'll deal with this here in just a second. A lot of folks say, well, you know, you talk about the Trinity. The Bible refers to as a Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. They say, well, you, you believe in polytheism. You say, well, now what is polytheism? Poly meaning many. They say, well, if you believe in the Trinity, you worship a bunch of gods. No, we serve one God. We're monotheistic. We serve one God in three persons. That's what we do. I mean, that's fundamental. That's basic doctrine 101. But when it comes to the number one, there's one Lord. There's one faith. There's one baptism. There's one God. And, and I hope that you see that. But, and there's a lot of other ones that I could give you tonight. But I want to focus in on that primary number, the absolute singleness. And one, uh, that's what it means. Well, then the number two. There's a lot of things that we could say about the number two. And I'm going to blaze through this. I'm going to give you a lot of scripture. And again, this is not an exhaustive list when it comes to numerology. But again, number one is the primary number. It's absolute singleness. But number two is the number of witness and support. Oftentimes you'll see the number two as you search through the Scripture from the book of Genesis all the way through to the book of Revelation. You'll see the number two. Well, what does that represent? What does it mean? Again, number two is the number of witness and support. For instance, we know that God created two great Lights. That's what the Bible said. In the book of Genesis, chapter 1, the first chapter in our Bible, in the Old Testament, Genesis 1, verse 16, and God made two great lights. You say, what are those two great lights? Well, God tells us. You probably know it without even reading. The greater light to rule the day, that's the sun, and the lesser light to rule the night, that's certainly the moon. And then the Bible goes on to say he made the stars also. And they, they, they basically support one another. During the day, the sun is there. During the night, we've got the moon. And, and we see the support that they give one to another. So there's two great lights. We know there were two angels at Sodom. Of course, they were, were there as, as a witness. For the Bible said in Genesis 19 and verse number 1, And there came two angels to Sodom at evening. And those came to get Lot out of that wicked place. We know uh, when you, we studied, it's been several years ago too, when I preached on the furniture there in the tabernacle. Boy, there's a lot of things in there. Every, one, every piece of furniture, Brother Dennis, point to, pointed to the Lord Jesus Christ. But if you'll remember the mercy seat uh, where the ark was, well, think about this. There, was, there, were, there weren't three cherubims on the ark. There wasn't four. There wasn't one. There was two on each end. The mercy seat would have been in the middle. If I could give you a picture, sort of like a square, that's sort of like the, uh, the, the, the table uh, as we're looking at tonight would be a sort of a picture of the ark. But on this side, there was a cherubim. On this side, there was a cherubim. Both of them would have been facing the mercy seat in the middle. And, of course, there, that was a number of witnesses. It was a number of support, and the cherubims were believed to protect the holiness of of God. As a matter of fact, Lucifer, when he was created before iniquity was found in him, he was created in perfection. He was a cherubim. He perfected or he protected the very presence and the holiness of God until pride was exalted in his heart and God kicked him out of heaven, according to the Bible. But there's two cherubim. Uh, that were located on the ark, Exodus chapter 25, verse 18. And thou shalt make two cherubims of gold, a beaten work shalt thou make them in the two ends of the mercy seat. And there they show witness and support one of another. Again, there was two, that number of witness and support. Think about the Ten Commandments. How many stones were they? They wasn't five. They wasn't four. There was two. How do you know that, preacher? Well, this is what the Bible said in Exodus chapter 31, verse 18. And he gave unto Moses, when he had made an end of communing with him upon Mount Sinai, two tables of testimony, tables of stone, written with the finger of God. Those two songs served as a witness, and they supported 
one another. Oftentimes you'll see that in a lot of different places. You'll still, still see it in some of the courthouses and different places where the Ten Commandments, even businesses, certain places where you can see it documented up on the wall. Most times it's two tablets. Why is that? Well, that's the number witness and support. We know according to the Word of God that two witnesses establish a truth. And we see that a lot of times even in, in our court of law, in our court systems today. For the Bible said in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 17 and verse number 6, At the mouth of two witnesses or three witnesses shall he that is worthy of death be put to death, but at the mouth of one witness he shall not be put to death. Somebody's got to corroborate the story. You can't just go on what one said, but two witnesses. So I give this illustration, probably a poor and a bad illustration. You use Scotty Welburn up in Wilkesboro. He used to work with at, at uh, Purdue. Then he went on to work with Mountain Mountain Air Farms. He used to always tell them. That, and of course, you come to Wilkes County, man. That's the that's the chicken capital of the world. You don't believe me? Just drive up toward Boone, son, and uh, you'll catch that wind right there, about red, white, and blue. And you—it's very distinct. You can't miss it with all the chickens. But if Scotty or somebody in here, Brother Harold, if you, Brother Harold wouldn't ever do this. But if Brother Harold went out, somebody had four or five chickens out there. Brother Harold went and stole the chicken. I mean, he went and got the chicken. He's gonna take it. He's gonna kill it, and he's gonna eat it. He's gonna fix the chicken soup like we had last night. He goes and gets that chicken. Now, now, it, it, let's say Jeremy sees him, and Hoyt sees him. Man, his goose is cooked, man. We changed from a different bird, but his goose is cooked if two people have seen it. Why? Because two can bear witness against him. They can support one another, and in a court of law, he would be found guilty. Well, according to the Word of God, two witnesses establish a truth. We also know there was a good report of the two spies at Kadesh. No more went out. But two of them gave a good report. How do we know? Numbers 14, verse 6 and 7. And Joshua the son of Nun, and Caleb the son of Jethuna, which were of them that searched the land, rent their clothes, and they spake unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through the searching is an exceeding good land. They went out and they spied that. They come back as a witness at how good of land that is. They supported one another, and there were two of them. We also know in Joshua's day, there were two spies at Jericho. Joshua chapter 2 and verse 1. And Joshua the son of Nun sent out of Shittim two men to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, even Jericho. And they went and came into a harlot's house named Rahab and lodged there. So you got two spies there at Jericho as well as at Kadesh. We also know according to the Bible, two are better than one. That's exactly what the Bible says. Why is that? Serves they support one another. We know that they serve as a witness. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9 and 10, two are better than one. That's what God said. Because they have a good reward for their labor, for if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. It's sort of like being in a business venture. If you got one individual running the business, he stumbles and falls. The business can't come up, can't continue on unless he's got a partner. I mean, it's just common sense. Why? Because they support one another. And that was the context of Ecclesiastes chapter 4, that two are better than one. Why? You got witness. You got support. We ain't done. Jesus, when he sent out his disciples, he didn't send them out three by three, four by four, five by five. How did he send them out? Two by three. Why? Because they were witness. They supported one another. Luke chapter 10, verse number 1. After these things, the Lord appointed other 70 also and sent them two and two before his face into every city and place whither he himself would come. So he sent them out by two. Why? They supported one another. They were witnesses as they went out uh, into the land. We also know that Jesus sent two disciples to make ready the Passover. He didn't send three. He didn't send five. He had two. Mark chapter 14 and verse 13. And he being Jesus sendeth forth two of his disciples and saith unto them, Go ye into the city, and there shall meet you a man bearing a pitcher of water. Follow him. Why did he send those two? As a witness and as support. We know at Jesus' resurrection. We know that uh, the Lord sent angels by, but it wasn't one angel. It wasn't three angels. 
Wasn't five angels. How many was it? It was two. They served as a witness. They served as support one of another. Luke chapter 24 and verse 4. It came to pass as they were much perplexed thereabout. Behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And they supported one another. Not only at his resurrection, but also at his ascension. In the book of Acts, of course, which relays the, 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 the death, burial, and certainly the resurrection and ascension of the Lord Jesus there in chapter number 1. There were two angels present as Jesus ascended on that Galilean hillside. The Bible said in Acts chapter 1 and verse 10, And while they, st- they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you've seen him go into heaven. Two. He used two. Two angels. When you think about one, we don't serve many gods. We serve one God. There's, well, I should back up and say there's a lot of folks serve gods, and probably all of us at some point there. And, and you know what is an idol? That's anything that takes, God, takes the place of God in our life. But there's one God. That's, that's a fundamental, absolute truth. There's one Jesus. There's not multiple ways to have it. And that's absolute, the one way. Two is the number of witness. Two is the number of support. But what about three, preaching? I want to I move because I want to get done here in just a second as much as y'all want me to. But you think about the number of the number three is the number of unity and accomplishment. The number of unity and accomplishment. Now, I do not have an exhaustive list tonight of the number three. There's a bunch of them. Of course, four is the number of earth, and we, we may deal with some of that later on. But the number three has to do with unity and accomplishment. Think about this. Think about the number three concerning time. What do you mean, preacher? What are you talking about time? And we've got Bible to back this up. What about the past and the present and the future? That's not one. That's not two. That's not four. That's three. Past, present, future. Three. They're united. They accomplish things. Think about the Lord Jesus in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number eight. Jesus Christ the same yesterday. That's past. Today, that's present, and forever. That's the future. Those three, of course, encompass concerning time. And there's unity and accomplishment. Think about what the Lord Jesus Christ accomplished as he came and he gave his life on the cross. Today, according to the Word of God, he's seating at the right hand of the throne of God. The reason I can pray, the reason you can pray, is because we've got an advocate, a mediator, a high priest at the right hand of the Father. And when it comes to the number three concerning time, there's past, present, future. Hebrews 13, 8. We also know concerning the Trinity. I told you earlier. We believe in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. You see it in the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 1, verse number 26 said, Let us, us being plural, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Well, who in the world's that? That's none other than God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost very early on in creation that we were made in the image of Almighty God. But think about this in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 7, for there are three, not four, not two. The Bible said for there are three that bear a record in heaven. Who are they? Preacher, the Bible says the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. You say, well, wait a minute, I thought Jesus, well, Jesus is the Word. Go to John's Gospel, chapter number 1. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Who's that? That's none other than the Lord Jesus. That's why it still amazes the fire out of me. Mark's Gospel, chapter number 2. You remember when that old boy, that couldn't even, he couldn't even help himself. He had somebody that loved him enough. They was four friends. Seen him in that condition so long. and It was noise that Jesus was in the house. And those boys grabbed a corner, each one. And they'd have never got that boy to Jesus. If one wanted to go north, one one wanted to go east, one wanted to go west, one wanted to go south. They got in one mind and one accord said, you know what? We can't fix this man's problem, but we can get him to the Lord Jesus Christ. And, of course, they brought him unto the Lord Jesus. But in that text, in Mark's Gospel, chapter number 2, when there was such a great crowd around that house, you know what Jesus did? By you looking up Mark, chapter 2, he preached the word unto them. Brother Danny, what a message that must have been. The word incarnate, preaching the written word of God. What a message that must have been. Well, those three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, 
the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And, of course, that's the unity. That's the accomplishment, the number three. Think about concerning worldly temptation. All sin revolves around three principles. Three principles. You've seen it in the fall of David. David was a man after God's own heart. And we know, you say, oh, preacher, and don't ever say this. I would never do that because that's one of the craziest things you'll ever say. You don't know what your tendencies really, you, you don't, we don't even realize what we're capable of doing. But David got to that point where he got too big for his breeches. He got his eyes off of God. And you know what he did? He, he saw, he lusted. And he gave in three, all, everything, the progression that's laid out in the book of James, it's not fourfold, it's not fivefold, it's not twofold, it is threefold. Every sin can be traced back to right here concerning world temptation. There's three involved. James chapter number 2, verse number 16, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. You take the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. All that is what, what centers back to a word that is called sin, which is a transgression of the laws of God, according to the book of 1 John. And there's three of those three things. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. We know there was moving on now. Unity and accomplishment. There was three days that were involved in the crossing of the Jordan River. God told them to go over to the other side. That's where the blessings, that's where the land was flowing with milk and honey, but they had to get on the other side, and it was in three days were involved. How do we know? Joshua chapter 1 and verse 11. Pass through the host and command the people, saying, Prepare you victuals, for within three days ye shall pass over this Jordan to go in to possess the land which the Lord your God giveth you to possess it. Why three days? Again, unity and accomplishment. We know according to the Word of God on the Jewish calendar, you go into the Old Testament, especially the book of Leviticus, there were three feasts, not five. There were three yearly feasts for Israel that were required. What were they? Listen to this, Exodus chapter 23, verse 17. Three times in a year all thy males shall appear before the Lord God. Now we know there was the Feast of Unleavened Bread. That was one of the trips that they had to go on. Then there was the Feast of Harvest, or oftentimes it's called the, the Feast of Pentecost. And then there's the Feast of Tabernacles, also referred to as the Feast of Booths, where they would build those little huts. And there was three yearly feasts. Why is that? Three for number, three, three for unity, three for accomplishment. When Gideon, you remember when Gideon faced 135,000? With 300 men, you do the math on that. Again, that's 450 to 1 odds. Man, those Midianites didn't stand a chance because they had God in their corner. Everybody said, man, Gideon was outnumbered. Are you kidding me? Man, the whole armies of the Midianites were outnumbered. You remember when old uh, Samson faced uh, those 1,000 thousand, thousand, uh, Philistines and he had a jawbone of an ass? That's what the Bible said. Those Philistines didn't have a chance. You might look and say, man, that's 1,000 to 1 odds. No, Samson had God on his side. You remember over there in John's Gospel, chapter number 6? You remember, according to the word of Matthew's Gospel, chapter 14, said that there's 5,000 men beside women and children that were hungry. It's not, it's not a far fetch to say there's probably 14,000 on that day when Jesus fed them. But you know what that little boy had? He had two small fishes and five barley loaves. And we see the miracle that unfolded from that. I have no idea where I was going with all that. But anyhow... Um, I, I, I just get carried away, and I can't fall back on my nose because I ain't got a clue. But I, I think about this. We're, we're looking at oh, Gideon. We're talking about Gideon. Yeah, the numbers. Uh, when you got God on your side, you got God on your side. That's what makes all the difference in the world. But Gideon had 135,000 against him. He had 300. He broke them up, not into two companies, 150 apiece. He broke them into three companies. A hundred apiece. There was 300 men. There was three companies. A hundred here, a hundred here, a hundred here. And God used several three things to give them victory. And the Bible said, Judges chapter 7 and verse 16, And he divided 300 men into three companies, and he put a trumpet in every man's hand, and with, and with empty pitchers and lamps within the pitchers. So he had three things. They had an empty pitcher, which would have been an earthen vessel. They had a lamp that would have went down inside, and they had a trumpet. They had three things. 300 men against 135,000, 450 to 1 odds. They came out on the winning side, never even had to raise a finger. All they had to do was bust that, 
that earthen vessel and let their light shine and the Midianites turned sword one on another. You read the book of Judges chapter 7, that's exactly what happened. Why? Because that number three is a number of unity and accomplishment. Think about this. Now, I'm getting close to the end. Y'all bear with me. Three days were involved in Nehemiah's inspection of the walls. Don't get me started on Nehemiah. We'll be here a long time. But in Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 11, the Bible said, So I came to Jerusalem and was there three days. Of course, he made a nocturnal uh, inspection and he went in by the valley gate and it was dark when I hit that the other night man a lot of folks say hey it's dark in my life uh, listen anytime you have a dark season in your life you can always there's always something that needs to get fixed there's something that needs to be repaired you say well I can't see it oh yes you can Nehemiah made a nocturnal inspection and there was so much rubble around the wall that his beast couldn't even get around according to the word of God but he was still able to see what needed to be fixed there's a lot of dark seasons in our life. That's where God knocks all the rough edges off. And we can see, even in dark times, if we're looking with a spiritual eye. But three days were involved in the inspection of the walls. We know that Esther, you know how long she prepared her heart? You know how long she prepared her heart? For three days. For the Bible said this in Esther chapter 4 and verse 16. Go gather together all the Jews that are present in Shushan and fast ye for me. And neither eat nor drink three days, night or day. Also and my maidens will fast likewise, and so will I go in unto the king, which is not according to the law, and if I perish, I perish. Those three days, a picture of unity, a picture of accomplishment, where they were seeking the will of God for God's people during Esther's day. Think about this. God prepared Jonah how many days? Two days, four days, five days, no sir, no ma'am, three days. Jonah chapter 1 and verse 17 now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, boy, old Jonah had an attitude adjustment when he come out, didn't he? Can you imagine all those gastric juices that were on him? Probably come out white. Man, his hair was probably bleached out. Probably smelled like you. You, you think about eating those oysters last night. Man, I'm telling you, it have been. You talking about a fish smell that had been on him when he come out. He'd been in there three days and three nights. There was some accomplishment going on in there. He didn't have a bit of problem going and proclaiming that message after he come out of that. He had been prepared. God gave him an attitude adjustment uh, while he was in, in the belly of that great fish. Now, if you didn't have the New Testament, you wouldn't know that it was a whale. And the Old Testament, the book of Jonah, said it was a great fish. But you go to what Jesus said, Jesus called it a whale. So you can call it a great fish, you can call it a whale. You'll both be right. That's not a contradiction. That's a commentary in the New Testament of the account in Jonah's day. It's referred to as a great fish. Jesus said it was a whale. You say, preacher, you think it was a whale? There ain't no wondering about it. I know it was a whale. Thank God the Lord Jesus said that it was. But the number three is the number of unity and accomplishment. Boy, this last one. You know, Jesus didn't raise on the second day or the fourth day or the fifth day. What day did he raise on? You know, the third day. The third day, a number of unity and accomplishment. Jesus told his disciples this. John chapter 2 and verse 19, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. 1 Corinthians 15, 4, of course, laid out the gospel in verse number 3. But the scripture said this, and he was, that being Jesus, he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. There's been a lot of songs sung about the third day. Sister Caitlin is coming. I thank God for the unity and the accomplishment. My salvation was accomplished because Jesus bore my sin on the cross. But it had all been in vain if he'd still be in the tomb tonight. I've often used this a lot of times. I never will. Please don't get your theology or get any lessons from the History Channel. I turned that garbage on one time, and uh, they was talking about some biblical stuff, and they said somebody had found the bones of Jesus. Man, I turned that mess off. Hey, they ain't found the bones of Jesus. The bones of Jesus ain't there. Because the third day later, man, he rose again, and uh, he lives. That we don't serve a dead Savior. I don't have to worry about standing up here on my own unless I choose to do that. I got somebody that helps me. You got somebody that helps you. Hey, listen, thank God we can call on a living Savior. If you're lost tonight and never been saved, your greatest need is to trust Christ. I'm not preaching down to you. The Bible's pretty clear. Romans 3.10 said there's none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.23 said for all. That included me and everybody. Everybody that's ever lived other than the Lord Jesus. All have sinned. Had come short of the glory of God. But God made a way. 
God loved me so much, loved you so much. For God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5, 8 lets us know. That's not the end of the story, Brother Danny. They placed him in that tomb. Not the second day, not the fifth day, not the fourth day. But the third day he rose victorious over death, hell, and the grave. That's why Brother Adrian hit Hebrews chapter 4 again this morning. It's one of the reasons we can come boldly under the throne of grace, Hebrews chapter number 4, and find grace to help in our time of need. Why? We don't serve a dead Savior. We serve a risen Savior tonight. That number one, there's one Lord, there's one faith, there's one God, there's one Father of all, that's in all and through all and in you all. We serve one God. That two is a number of witness and a number of support. But that number three is a number of unity and accomplishment. Man, if you're not saved tonight, be good not to get saved. If you are saved, don't know what you're dealing with, don't know what your burdens are, but I'm glad you don't have to face it alone. We got one that's went through the storm. Thank God he came out on the other side three days later. Victorious. He'll give you the help that you need tonight as we stand all over the house. Let's pray. Father, I love you. And Lord, I sure do thank you for the opportunity and privilege. Lord, expand upon the truth of your word. God, one more time, you know every need that's in this building tonight. Thank you, Lord, for the numbers that are found in the Bible. Thank you for that absolute number that you are the way, the truth, and the life. Thank you, Lord, for the number of two that gives us that support and gives us that witness. Thank you for the number of three. Oh, Lord, it provides that accomplishment and that unity. Thank you for the third day rising again. Thank you for loving such a worm as I am. And God, I pray, Lord, you'd meet every need in this invitation time. We'll give you thanks. We'll give you praise, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. A few moments tonight, Sister Caitlin going to sing a little bit of that. She can. We're going to the house in a second. If you've got a need, thank God you don't have to bear it alone. Scripture said, cast your care upon him, for he careth for you. How's that possible, preacher? Because he's alive. He rose victorious three days later. Sing a little bit, sis. Hello, friends. This is Brian Poindexter, the pastor of Faith Community Baptist Church, located at 2216 Hennings Road in East Bend, North Carolina. We're so grateful to have you listening to our CD ministry that's been provided as an outreach of our church. It's our desire and focus at Faith Community Baptist Church to preach and teach the whole counsel of God to a lost and dying world, to equip the saints of God for service, and to encourage the elderly and shut-ins who cannot attend services due to physical ailments. We meet every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. for Sunday school for all ages, and our Sunday school hour is followed by our worship service at 11 a.m. with old-fashioned singing and preaching from the Word of God. We meet back every Sunday night at 6 p.m. for our worship service, and every second Sunday night of each month, we have what's called an eat-and-meet service. After our 6 p.m. service, we gather in the fellowship hall for food and fellowship. On Wednesdays, we meet back at the church for our midweek worship service with choir singing and preaching again from God's holy word. Our ladies prepare a meal each Wednesday prior to our service from 5.30 p.m. to 6.30 p.m. I give you and your family a cordial invitation to be with us at any or all of our service times. Above all, you may be listening today and maybe you've never made a personal commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. Friend, that's the greatest decision anyone can ever make in this life. Too many folks prepare for vacation, they prepare for retirement, they seem to prepare for everything, but sad to say, many make no preparations for eternity. The reality is very clear. We all will leave this world someday. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27, And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. You must understand that you are guilty before a holy God. Romans 3.23 said, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Prophet Isaiah said in chapter 53 and verse 6, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. You must understand that your good words, good works and good deeds will not get you to heaven. Isaiah 64 and verse 6 says, But we are all as an unclean thing. All our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. And we all do fade as a leaf. And our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. Ephesians chapter 2, the Bible said, Therefore by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. You must understand that you're loved. I'm thankful that in John 3 and verse 16, it said, For God so loved the world, 
that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Romans 5 and verse 8 declares, But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You must understand and realize there's only one way to stand right before God. There's not many ways, there's only one. Jesus said in John 14 and verse number 6, He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, the apostles' message was very simple. There in Acts chapter 4 and verse number 12, they said, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. You might ask the question, Preacher, how can I be saved? That's what the Philippian jailer asked in Acts chapter 16 and verse 30 and 31. He asked Paul and Silas, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. Romans 10, 9 said that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You must ask God to save you. I can't do it. No one can do it for you. Romans 10, 13 said, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you know you're a sinner, and if you're sorry for your sin, and you believe Jesus died for your sins, you simply have to ask him to save you. And I say, preacher, how can I know for sure God will hear me? But first of all, the Bible tells us that we must be drawn. John 6 and verse 44, Jesus said, No man can come to me except the Father which had sent me. Draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Psalm 51 and verse 17 gives us the attitude we need to have when we come to God. It said there, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise. If God draws you by conviction, if you're sorry for your sin, you repent of them. If you believe Jesus died for your sins, and if you asked him to save you, then the Bible declares you've been saved. If you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, then you've been forgiven of all your sins. Romans 8, 1 declares, There is therefore now no condemnation of them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Once a person has been saved, they need to be a part of a fundamental Bible-believing church where they can grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. God calls us out of darkness and commands us to walk in light after we've been saved by His marvelous grace. If we can help you here at Faith Community Baptist Church in any way, feel free to contact us. If you have asked God to save you, please contact us, and we will send you some free literature to help you in your newfound life in Christ. Thank you again for listening to our CD ministry that's been provided by our church here, and may God richly bless you and your family is our prayer.